This is Cybok, the cybersecurity body of knowledge, distilling the knowledge from internationally recognized experts and providing foundational education and training for the cybersecurity sector. Hello and welcome to Cybok. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. Joining us today is Professor Pete Burnup, Director and Head of Cardiff University's NCSC EPSRC Academic Center of Excellence in Cybersecurity Research. He's author of the Risk Management Knowledge Area. So, uh, fundamental principles of cyber risk assessment and management and their role with risk governance. We try and explain why, as people, we need effective risk governance, describe different perspectives on cyber risk management from individual assets to whole systems, goals and objectives, some of the major risk assessment models and highlight their limitations and uses, talk around security metrics, why effective governance is necessary to hold up uh, cybersecurity, and then we also discuss a bit around incident response and its link to risk governance. Well, let's start with the basics. Um, Why is risk assessment and management important? Can you give us some insights there? Yeah, risk is really difficult to define. There are many different definitions of it. And so for the purposes of CYBOC, we've gone for an abstracted approach, which is to take uh, Ren's definition in in the uh, well-established book, which is the possibility that human actions or events lead to consequences that have an impact on what humans value. So that's a bit of a mouthful, but essentially the the last (laughs) bit is the important bit, which is what humans value. And it's really understanding what actions or events will impact that. Yeah, the next section goes through why risk assessment and management is important. Can can you walk me through that? Yeah, absolutely. So ultimately, uh, without a decent risk assessment model, something that identifies possible events, outcomes, the strength of those outcomes, the uh, the exposure and vulnerability and estimation of risk and severity and impact, we have no basis to understand exposure to threats or make any sort of plan to devise to, to manage them which ultimately means with, with without that, we're um, likely to be ineffective, disorganized when it comes to adverse um, outcomes. Yeah, a couple of, uh, I think, interesting details that you lay out here. Uh, this notion of intolerable, tolerable and acceptable risks. Uh, can you walk us through the, the differences there? Yeah, so an, in, an intolerable risk is just something where you just say, look, we, we have to abandon this, replace it. Um, or, or put extreme measures in place to make sure any uh, exposure is, is reduced and, and limited. A tolerable risk is something where we essentially say, right, okay, we need to proceed, but it, we need to reduce the risk to as low as reasonably possible or allowable. We might mitigate or share or transfer that risk. Um, and, and selection of these depends on an appetite for taking risks. And then the, the last one, acceptable, which essentially means, you know, any reduction is not necessary. We can proceed without it, but also... Um, you know, risks often offer opportunities as well. So upside risk. So uh, that, that's the other aspect of, of acceptable risk is that there is a risk we would maybe like to uh, accept and embrace. And then uh, beyond that, um, Ren defines four types of risk. Uh, walk us through those. Sure. So uh, there's r- routine risks, which follow, uh, you know, a fairly normal statistics, relevant data kind of uh, desirable outcomes and limits of acceptability. There's complex risks where the risks are less clear cut. So uh, things like drug treatment and climate change that are, you know, they need to be a little bit more measured uh, with cost benefit analysis and sort of comparative approach. 
there's uncertain risks where um, we've got that a lack of predictability. So we need to think about how we can reverse unexpected outcomes. And this is where things like resilience come in and reducing negative side effects. And then um, ambiguous risks. Um, so ambiguous risks essentially are where different stakeholders, so risk managers, civil society, et cetera, have a potential different perception and interpretation of the risk. They have different viewpoints. So genetically modified foods is one example around this. You know, you're weighing up sustainability with well-being concerns. And there's that, you know, aspect of discursive who understands what and it is quite ambiguous and ongoing. One of the things that you explore here is uh, the human factor here, um, how humans can be good or bad at, at assessing the types of risks and, and the level of risk. Yeah. So, I mean, as uh, there's, there's a well-established work around uh, human factors of, of risk assessment and ultimately we as a society are not particularly great at, um, you know, doing risk management. We, we have perceptions which will often outweigh any sort of evidence that we're presented with. So again, you could, you could arguably take the, the climate change debate at the moment. You know, there's lots of people on mm. one side saying, uh, you know, that th this is a fact and this is happening. And there's other people with perceptions that it's not happening. So there, there's an issue around that. But there's another aspect around human factors, which is that ultimately, if, if, if perception isn't there, if there isn't a widely held perspective by people that they might be attacked, despite statistics showing it, for example, with cyber breaches that rise year on year, then they're not particularly inclined to engage with the risk management process. So uh, there's some, some work out there from um, uh, Angela Sashi and co collaborators that basically identified that People have problems using security tools correctly. They don't really understand the importance of data or software or systems uh, in their organization. They don't necessarily believe their assets could be at risk, i.e. they would be attacked, or they don't necessarily understand that their behavior puts the system at risk. So this is, brings us into the field of all around risk communication and, and integration of a broad range of stakeholders in that kind of discursive understanding of risk. Yeah, and, and I suppose, I mean, there, there's... An emotional factor here, humans being humans, is that something that needs to be removed from risk assessment or, or is that part of the equation that needs to be taken into account? I, I think it's a huge part of the equation. It isn't as t taken into account as enough as it should be. We see hmm. this quite frequently with uh, news stories, uh, you know, around, you know, humans being the weakest link and so on. And, and ultimately, you know, it may be that cyber attacks, uh, you know, take a foothold through people, but ultimately... People are carrying out a process. They're doing things that they need to do using potentially technological or other processes that have been put in place to enable them to do that. Now, if, if those processes and technologies haven't been risk assessed or haven't been correctly set up or configured in line with a risk assessment, then it's likely, of course, that cyber attacks might happen. But there isn't necessarily the human that is at fault in that case. It's, it's that the processes and procedures that are put in place need to be looked at and taken into account when thinking about risk assessment, risk management, and risk governance. Now, there are some specific things to consider when it comes to cyber risk management and assessment. Uh, what are some of the things that you're looking to bring attention to? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, risk assessment and management is obviously very broad, but cyber risk assessment and management is the focus of this document. And why that's important is because digital technology is basically everywhere, underpins almost everything in our daily lives. You know, we've got the, the growth of the Internet of Things. Connected devices are meant to be sort of in a region of 50 billion by 2022. Uh, so that's going to increase the threat profile significantly, uh, threat exposure. 
furthermore, we've got, you know, human decision-based tasks such as driving and decision-making being replaced by automated technologies and artificial intelligence and digital infrastructures are becoming increasingly reliant on. So, you know, we've seen that they can be massively disruptive and quite indiscriminately disruptive as, for example, with ransomware. Uh, you know, we had the, you know, a massive WannaCry outbreak in recent years in the UK in particular. This led to the you know, National Health Service losing something like 92 million in, in uh, costs, but also, um, you know, something in the region of 16,000 appointments lost. So this is people's lives at risk. So, you know, cyber security risk assessment and management is, is, is a fundamental special case for you know, modern life. It's my understanding that one of the key elements here is risk governance. Can you walk us through some of the specifics? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, risk risk governance is, is essentially required. You know, you can do your risk assessment, which identifies issues. You can do your risk of management, which defines some processes to put in place. But if you haven't got a good risk governance policy, then, um, you know, ultimately it's probably not going to be part of day-to-day life and therefore, uh, you know, not particularly well adhered to. So you've got different models. You know, Millstone's proposed some governance models, such as a technocratic model where you define policy and that becomes sort of governance directly informed by science and domain expertise. You've got something that's a little bit more uh, decisionistic, which comes, you know, brings in more social and economic factors. And then you've got sort of a more transparent and inclusive model where, you know, this this kind of comes in with, you know, ongoing evolving risk uh, being known that it's kind of evolving from the start and continually involving science, politics, economics, you know, views of civil society and so on. You know, none of them are right or wrong. There is a balance to find uh, in between them and, and it will work differently for different people. Hmm. And so I suppose, I mean, it's a it's a factor of the culture of the organization, what's going to work best between the leadership and uh, the folks who uh, who have to put these policies in place. Massively. And the folks who beyond that have to adhere to these policies. You know, people working day to day who we want to, you know, make sure that the organization remains remain cyber secure and this is where it comes back to, you know, risk perception again. You know, people have intuitive judgments associated with the likelihood of them being attacked. Uh, you know, they're working in quite familiar environments most of the time. You know, there's th- th- an issue then around that. You know, these things not being particularly scientific. So if you if you follow a you know a very scientific type model and you're not communicating that and educating the people who you need to implement this risk model, uh, this risk governance program, then. Um, you know, ultimately, you, you run the risk of, of it not being effective. And I suppose, I mean, communications is really important here. If you're not uh, tracking uh, the, the folks who actually have to put or, or have to, to live under these, these rules, um, you could find them coming up with workarounds. Absolutely. You know, and this is, this is essentially what we, uh, you know, what we frequently see happening. Um, there was some, uh, some work done around passwords compliance and, you know, essentially the finding was that people didn't believe they were personally at risk and they wouldn't be held accountable for the failure and following of security rules. And so, you know, people will therefore go ahead and do what they need to do. But then there is, this is where the communication factor comes in, as you rightly say. So it's education, you know, around risk awareness and day-to-day handling of risks, training and behavior change and, and, and ensuring that internal practices align to that security policy you know, ensuring levels of confidence and, and trust, you know, m- believing, I suppose, that the operational risk management is uh, necessary and valid and, and, and important. And, you know, this kind of comes back to, to, to involvement and bringing people into the risk decision making process. So if you try and impose a set of rules on people, as you say, they're going to c- kind of work around them. But if you can involve stakeholders, give them an opportunity to take part in risk and concern assessment, 
partake in the development of the security policy, then you've got you know better chance of them uh, you know actually being involved and following that um, or buying in, buying into that policy. Now, digging into some of the details, there are a lot of principles at play here. Can you give us a, an overview of how they apply? Yeah, so these are really focusing on some of the terminology, I suppose. So uh, risk assessment and management principles are broken down by the National Cybersecurity Centre in the UK as uh, component-driven. So this, this is basically around technical components and the threats and, and, and vulnerabilities they face as an individual asset, if you like, or component, hardware, software, data, staff. And then a system-driven approach, which analyzes the system as a whole and all its interdependencies uh, and, and reliance on subsystems and so on. It also then goes on to explain um, some of the, the key terminology that, that is used. So vulnerabilities, for example, being something that's open to attack or misuse that could lead to an undesirable outcome. For example, uh, technology, people. Then there's a threat, which is an individual or an action that has the capability to exploit that vulnerability. So, for example, if we take uh, a software interface that uh, has um, you know, a, a vulnerability, then the threat is an actor who might exploit that vulnerability. There's likelihoods, which represent a measure of capturing the degree of possibility that a threat will exploit the vulnerability. It's going to be quality, qualitative, low, medium, high, or quantitative on a one to 10 or percentage. And then uh, the last one we define is impact, uh, which is the result of a threat exploiting a vulnerability, which has a negative impact on the success of the um, objectives of the system we're risk assessing. Well, um, of course, despite everyone's planning and best intentions, things sometimes do go wrong. So how does business continuity and incident response and recovery planning come into play? Yeah, that's right. Uh, there's a whole CYBOC document on this with security operations and incident management, but we, we touch on it in this one because essentially we need to make sure this is factored into risk. So from business continuity, there, there are standards defining some principles. Um, you know, for example, planning and preparing, identifying definition of the incident management policy and establishing a team to deal with that. Detecting and reporting of security incidents, uh, determining the presence of, and severity of the incident and decisive actions. So this this will link you know, quite heavily back to the risk assessment model. Some kind of response, which might be forensic analysis, system patching, and so on. And then learning. So the, the the learning is a very important one to bring back to the risk assessment and modeling. So you know we don't want to be fixing problems and then forgetting about them. We want to bring them back in and try and reduce the likelihood of future breaches. So. You know, it's very important that we uh, we sort of bring that into our learning and, and our wider processes as well, making sure that people understand the impact of, of what went wrong and how to do things differently. What are the, the take-homes for you? What do you want uh, someone who has uh, gone through this document, what sorts of things would you like them to take away with them? So I, I think, uh, you know, a major aspect is the um, the aspects of human perception and tolerance of risk. You know, we, we, we really dig into the human factors of cybersecurity and focus on training, behavior change, creation of confidence, communication, tailoring the message to a key uh, to key audiences, you know, and ensuring that balance of accountability of, you know, things have gone wrong with learning of how do we fix that going forward. And, and that really bringing the, the operational people back into the risk assessment and management process. That's a huge thing. I think it's important for people to uh, take note of the differentiation between system level management that that looks at the system as a whole and considers interdependencies versus the component level management, which only looks at individual elements. You know, particularly in certain systems where there are lots of dependencies and potentially supply chains, that you know it's easier and quicker potentially, not in all cases, but potentially to do the component level one because you just look at individual 
things in your system and say that could go wrong, this could be the impact, this could go wrong, and this could be the impact. In a cyber domain where there is a lot more interconnectivity, if this goes wrong, the impact may be, you know, some sort of pounds or downtime. But what else might the impact be? You know, how does that link to other dependencies and interdependent processes? So it's finding that balance between system level management and 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 goal level management. I think, you know, in terms of the 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 metrics stuff, I think it's you know, you need to consider what are you measuring from a, from, from cyber risk? Why are you measuring it? And how is it making a difference? You know, there's, there's things that you can measure that will give you numbers, but then there's other approaches that will sort of look at cost benefits. Are the things that you've put in place actually working? Are you spending X and, you know, actually losing Y where one's bigger than the other and it's not actually working? The risk government is cyclical, iterative. It's not something that you can just do once, particularly with, with cyber technology changing all the time. And I mentioned the growth in IoT know earlier on you know risk assessment if you just do it once a year then your system is going to be wildly different halfway through the year and you run the risk of being exposed to unknown vulnerabilities as the system evolves without you um you know reconducting a risk assessment regularly and then the cultural aspects so you know we talk about just culture uh decker's just culture principles in the in, in here which is thinking about you know when people make mistakes how do they report that in in such a way that they don't feel vulnerable they don't feel embarrassed or you know anxious about losing their job or whatever that they feel supported and that they can know that they where things have gone wrong this is being fed back in to improve the risk assessment or improve the resilience and governance of the organization and ultimately you bring your your day-to-day workers who who ultimately you depend on to implement your security governance policy into the process That's Professor Pete Burnup from Cardiff University. To learn more about the Cybok project and the knowledge area we spoke about today, visit cybok.org. This podcast is a product of the University of Bristol. Cybok is funded by the UK National Cybersecurity Programme and led by the University of Bristol's Professor Awais Rashid, along with Professor Andrew Martin, Professor George Denisis, Professor Emil Lupu, Professor Steve Schneider, and Dr. Howard Shivers. The Cybok Podcast is produced by The Cyberwire with coordinating producers Jennifer Iben, Kelsey Bond, and Bristol University's Yvonne Rigby. The executive producer is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Listening.